Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 163, one of our book club episodes. Today, we are talking about Sonali Dev's Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors. Before we get started, we want to remind you about our Unabridged Pod Ambassadors Program. This is a group of people who support the podcast, who are there as a resource for us to ask questions and to provide ideas. And sometimes you'll hear them on our episodes. We have a lot of fun chatting with them. If you are interested in joining, you do get some thank you gifts when you sign up and you can sign up at unabridgedpod.com slash ambassadors. All right, before we get started with our book club discussion, we want to do our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? So I finally have come around to reading Taylor Jenkins Reads The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I borrowed this one from Jen a very long time ago, and it has been sitting on my shelf, and I've been meaning to get to it. So I read Daisy Jones and the Six right around this time last year. I feel like it was the winter of last year, and I listened to the audio, and I really enjoyed that. I I really, I really enjoyed it. I didn't feel quite the level of love that I felt like a lot of other people did in the sense that I thought it was a great story. And actually, the farther I've been from it, the more things have stayed with me about it that I really appreciated. But I, I just feel like some people that is like their number one favorite book. And like, for me, it was great. It was not my most favorite book ever. But this one I'm really captivated by, so I am thrilled that I finally got around to it. I'd been looking forward to reading it and wanted to pick something up that I could just read for fun, and I'm really interested in the story. So you know going into it that it is about Evelyn Hugo, who is a renowned actress who has had a very long acting career, but she's also, as the title suggests, had seven husbands and has just a lot of – she's kind of got a mythical – level of status and people are dying to know her story and yet throughout her entire life that has not been revealed. You also have Monique who is a young journalist. She's really just trying to find her way and hasn't done a whole lot with her career yet. She has these really great ambitions but she has had some setbacks in her personal life and so suddenly it's it becomes clear that she is going to get paired up with Evelyn Hugo. And so that is the premise. And I really love, I think what I'm coming to see that I appreciate about Taylor Jenkins Reid's stories that I loved and Daisy Jones as well is the framing of the story. I think that is really fascinating. So you have the person who is the teller of the story and you're getting their story, which is really interesting. And then you're getting that inner story that's coming to light of the person who's the spotlight, like in this case, Evelyn Hugo. And I love all of that. I think it's really fascinating. So I am really enjoying it so far. And I am happy to be coming around to it and have wanted to for a long time. I'd heard such great things, but it is a joy to read. So again, Taylor Jenkins Reid. And this one is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I really Um, like that book a lot. 
I do too. That's the one. I think she has always been a great storyteller, but that is the one for me that made her an autobiography author. I was like, I will read everything she writes from now on. And I want to go back and read her backlist because, and I read one over winter break and I went in with this, you know, it's going to be this nice light diversion. I could not put it down. It was so compelling. I was sobbing. It was one true loves. Oh my oh, goodness. I have that on my, my shelf. Oh, Sarah, I, you would love it. You should read it. You should pick it up. I mean, but do it when you have a lot of time to read all at once, <laughs> because <laughs> you will not want to put it down. It's so good. And she has a new one coming out in this spring. Yeah. I'm Malibu excited. rising. I was just, I've heard up. really good things about that one from people who've gotten the arcs. I think it comes out May 25th. Somebody shared on Instagram that it is similar in the structure to Evelyn Hugo. So that's really interesting. That is interesting. Exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah, what are you reading? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I just know what Sarah has on her document. (laughs) And I can't wait to hear what she has to say about it. Uh, (laughs) I am reading Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. After reading Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, I really felt that I needed that kind of cultural touchstone because there's so many books that are based on this story. And so I was like, I need to go to the source and read it. I knew there was no way that I would read the actual paper book because it just, I just knew it wouldn't keep my attention. So I, Jen suggested looking for the audio. So I did. And I'm reading the audio and Rosamund Pike reads the audio. If you don't know who she is, she was the, she played the main character in the Gone Girl movie, but she's had lots of other roles, but that's where I knew her from. And I, she is fantastic. I am blown away by her narration, thankfully. And uh, the story... (laughs) This story, no, I'm 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 being more facetious than I really mean. I, the story is fine. I just don't find it very compelling. And I guess because I have read and seen other works that are based on the story, I feel like it's kind of a little boring. I don't hate it. And like I said, Rosamund Pike is so such a talented narrator that I, I would like to listen to her read it. But I just I, I've read some really good books lately. And I'm also simultaneously reading the My Friend Anna that, that Jen uh, recommended to me back in our recommendations episode. And that is super compelling. And I want to know what's going to happen. So so it so in comparison to some of the other things I've read lately, it's it's fine. And I I'm happy that I'm gonna have that context for going forward. But it's just I just don't think that those traditional classics are my my preference, but I am happy that I am expanding my horizons and giving it a go. And I do think that I like the story. I like the love story. And I really, it has been really fun listening to it after having read Pride and Prejudice and other flavors. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, Wickham. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Cause I had no contact context for that when I was reading the story we're going to discuss today. So that is, I am reading Jane Austen's. I'm not going to summarize it because everybody knows that. <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm reading Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Awesome. Jen, what are you reading? I, I feel like I should say something like I'm so proud of you. And then I realize that's really condescending. But I think it's awesome that you 
went in knowing that it was a stretch. <laughs> and I think that is something we all always aim to do. So I think that's Thank so you. cool. I don't find it condescending. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Sarah, I think I had a similar reaction to it just because I remember you asking me what I thought about it and I just felt neutral. And I think it is because if I had read it at a different time in my life, it would have had a different impact, but also that it was like, it was such a, I can see how it was monumental for its time. And that is why it is acclaimed in some ways. And I really appreciate that. But you're right that as you have read and enjoyed several, I mean, we we did EB's A Boy's Pride that also is a remix. And so when you read these other versions that hit on those same themes, which I think are what is so powerful in the novel, then it is maybe less impactful than it might be if you hadn't had these other examples that, that highlight a lot of the same things that I think are rich about the novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, okay. Back to me. (laughs) I forgot Sarah had done such a lovely segue to me and then I got all distracted. So, okay. So I am reading K.A. Tucker's The Simple Wild. This is definitely a bookstagram made me do it. This is a romance and I'm not very far into it, but I, I could not count the number of people who adore this book. And I'm in a lot of different buddy reads with people. And this one comes up in romance buddy reads, but also in non-romantic buddy reads. I feel like I just see it everywhere. So this is the story of Kala, who was born in Alaska. And her mother, when she was two, made the decision. Her mother was originally from Toronto. And she had moved to Alaska because she fell in love with Khaled's dad. He owns a bunch of airplanes and he has this aviation company. So he provides flights around Alaska to move supplies around and things. And he has to live there. That is where he is committed to live. That is his livelihood. He loves it. Khaled's mom, she feels very isolated. She feels as if she just does not fit in. She desperately wants to be around her family and friends again. She wants to move back to the city. And... She leaves when Kala is two. So that happens at the very beginning. Flash forward 23 years later, Kala has never met her father. She lives in Toronto with her mother and her stepfather. And she goes to work one day and unexpectedly is fired because her job at the bank has become replaced by computers. And she goes out with her best friend to sort of console herself. And she sees her boyfriend with another girl. And then she gets home and someone who knows her dad calls and says that her dad has cancer and that she should come to Alaska to meet him before he dies, basically. So she has had a heck of a day and is feeling at loose ends. And decides that, yeah, she is going to go to Alaska and meet her dad. So she does. And of course, there is a really hunky pilot who picks her up. And he is really grumpy. And she hates him at first sight. And she calls him the Yeti. And you can guess what's going to happen. But so far, it's really, it's really fun. I, I like her personality. I think it's the whole enemies to lovers trope, of which I am a fan. So yeah, it's really compelling so far. I don't know at this point that I am at the level of fervor that Bookstagram feels for the book, but I'm I'm not that far in. So maybe the fervor is coming. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like I went off the rails a little bit there, everyone, but I'm going to get it back. So I really want to see when Jen gets the fervor. So <laughs> maybe we can videotape that and put it in store. <laughs> I feel like we need that in our merch store <laughs> when the fervor comes. All right. Well, we are going to move on now to our main segment, our book club discussion of Sonali Dev's Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors. I'm going to start with a quick summary. Sonali Dev's Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors is a gender-flipped retelling that sets Jane Austen's classic in modern-day California with an Indian-American family, the Rajays, in place of the Bennetts. Dr. Trisha Rajay is wealthy, brilliant, and cast out of her family. DJ Kane, whose real name is Darcy, of course, is a talented chef whose troubled past has left him with only his sister to depend on, and her diagnosis with a rare brain tumor means that only Trisha can save her life. Unfortunately, class conflicts and all the pride and prejudice you could want intervene, creating a modern enemies to lovers narrative with great touches from the classic. All right, well, we are going to start with our overall impressions. Sarah, what did you think of this book? I really enjoyed this book. I I love books that have main characters who are chefs and that talk about food. I've been on record about that before. And Indian food is like my favorite cuisine. So when Trisha is salivating over DJ's food and all of that, I I was here for all of it because <laughs> and the descriptions of food, I just I but I when I was reading it Every single time I picked it up, I was like, I'm really feeling Indian food tonight for dinner <laughs> because it was just the descriptions were so vibrant. And I just thought I really liked the story. We were speaking, talking a little bit before we started recording. And I liked the how rich the narrative was that it, I don't think it seemed like a typical romance book, even though I think it's classified as romance. And I just found the story really compelling. I really loved the story of Trisha's family and learning about them and all of the different members and what they brought to the table and how they kind of almost patchworked a family together based on necessity. I just really liked all of that. So all of that worked for me. So I really liked this one. I'm really, really happy that I got to read it. And I listened to the audio and it was great. Oh, that's good to know. Yay. All right. Ashley, what did you think? I loved this one. I agree with Sarah that it was not as romance-like as I thought it might be going in. And I really appreciated that. I mean, I've said recently in episodes that I am reading much more romance than I was a year ago. And that's been a nice discovery for me. But I think what I loved about this one was the richness of the narrative of each of their jobs. So I think all of that about their jobs and her as a female doctor working to in a leading doctor in her field and how she has worked for where she is. I thought all of that was really great. And I also liked the intersection of everything with Emma and his sister and how she was the one who could care for her and working through that whole part separate from everything with DJ, I thought that really richened the narrative as well. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I did audio and read this one. I don't do that a whole lot. And I was glad to try it out. It was a good one 
I learned some things about doing it and I, and it was good. Like I learned this one is marked by chapters that have numbers. And since I don't have whisper sync, I can see why that's desirable because again, I don't usually go back and forth, but it was nice because with the chapter numbers, it was easy to do both. I really liked both versions. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great story. What about you, Jen? What did you think? Yeah, I really loved it. This was a reread for me. So I should talk, I should have talked about this at the beginning. So our unabridged ambassadors actually chose this book. We put together a list of romance books that we thought would be great picks. This is also one of the categories for the Unabridged Challenge this year. So this is a romance by an author of color. So we had a whole bunch of options and we let our Unabridged Ambassadors choose. And I was thrilled to reread this one because I absolutely loved it the first time through. I think I'll talk a little more in what worked for us about the the echoes of Pride and Prejudice that I liked. But yeah, I think everything you all have said, I think it has rich characters. I love the way we see the backstory of Trisha's parents develop and then her relationship with her siblings, I think is great. I think the secondary characters relationships are compelling and do a nice job sort of reinforcing Trisha's own goals I think DJ's a great character. I think both of them, I had points that I was really frustrated with them, but I also think that you're supposed to feel frustrated with them because I think both of them make some mistakes. And I love books that are about redemption and admitting when you're wrong and apologizing when you do something to hurt somebody else. And so, yeah, I just think the themes are great. The characters are great. And yeah, I love a good Pride and Prejudice retelling. So all the things work for me. All right. Well, we are going to get more specifically into one thing each that worked for us. And Ashley, you get to go first this time. So one thing that worked really well for me was the way that both of them dealt with guilt that they carried. DJ and Trisha separately had this really profound situations that had impacted them a long time prior. And that were really impacting the way that they live their lives. And I loved how that was developed in the story. I thought that Dev did such a great job of showing how that impacted each of them and really shaped their character for each character and also unveiling how all of that, you know, so that ultimately as they came to know each other better, that part of what they were able to do is admit this guilt that they had carried for all this time. I thought all of that worked really well. And I loved how the release of that and the unveiling of some of those secrets was such a brightening for each of them and helped each of them to heal something that had you know, that they had carried with them for such a long time. I thought all of that was really rich. And I, and I believed the way that they could come to understand each other better by knowing those things about each other and how that deepened their relationship and also why they would, would withhold that information. So I thought all of that, that really worked for me. And I think furthered my understanding of the conflicts that kept them separated, because like you said, Jen, there were times that that was really Mm -hmm. frustrating and, Yet I could believe it better because of a lot of the baggage that each of them brought with them. And also I loved, you know, the resolution of all of that was very satisfying. So yeah, so that was something that really worked yeah, for me. I agree with that. So, oh, so much. Yes. I thought the backstories were really convincing and that doesn't always, sometimes it feels like this perfunctory, like, oh, they got to have a backstory because they got to be complicated. But I really, I think Deb did that masterfully. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? What was one thing that worked for you? I really 
thought the relationship between Emma and DJ, the brother-sister relationship between them was really special. And I loved Emma. I loved how strong she was. And I loved that she really fought for her own, that that she advocated for herself. And I I feel like I got frustrated with Trisha a lot, even more than DJ. Just I just found her very frustrating. But I'm also, as I'm reading Pride and Prejudice, I understand why now why that since this is a retelling, but, but I thought that Emma advocating for herself and what was right for her. I thought that was really powerful and DJ both wanting to wanting her to make a certain choice, but also wanting to be supportive. I just thought all that was really, I just thought they had a really great relationship. And then I liked how Trisha came in and was kind of a catalyst for Emma figuring out that she could have a life beyond losing her eyesight. And I mean, I just thought all that was that whole relationship between Emma and DJ and then how Trisha did all this work to find Jane and find and give Emma hope. And so I thought all that was great. So that was, that was probably one of my favorite things about the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the descriptions of Emma's art also and the way that contributed to her characterization. Yeah. I thought there was a lot of humor in it. Well, I loved how Trisha bought all of Emma's art. And then when her mom finally came to her apartment and it's all displayed (laughs) (laughs) because it was unconventional art, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Jen, what about you? So I, I mentioned this a little bit in my overall impression. I just, I think a good Pride and Prejudice retelling, which I think this one is, takes the part of Austin's book that is universal and timeless and applies it to a new situation that illuminates that situation. And I think Deb just, first of all, I think the decision to make Trisha the female, the wealthy one was smart because I think that mixes it up a little bit. And I think our reactions to women are sometimes different than to men. And so I think that's really interesting to look at in the modern world. And I also thought the decisions she made to break apart from the original text were smart, that she didn't feel so beholden to it that she had to make every single thing happen the same way. Yeah. So I just thought she used the class conflict from Austin to illuminate both class and race in the modern world, which I thought was really smart. And I believed those scenes and I believed the way that privilege worked for Trisha and against DJ. I thought that the discussion of DJ's grandparents who, because of racism throughout his family in England, I thought that was really believably told. Yeah. So I just thought there were all of these great applications of these conflicts that we, I always think, oh, we think we're past this. And of course we're not, of course we're not. But when an author can use a classic text to illuminate current problems, I just think it's really smart. I think it seems like an easy thing to do, but I think to do it well is really challenging. And so to make this book feel novel and yet classic, I I think Deb, I cannot wait to read more by her because I think she is a great writer. Yeah, I felt like she really resisted simplifying some of those situations. And yeah, and I thought all the nuance involved was really impressive. And just that she didn't make sweeping generalizations either about like you were saying, Jen, I think she really challenges with with 
Trisha being the one who's wealthy and with her wealth making her able to ignore some of the race-based prejudice that DJ is so aware of. I mean, I thought all of that was like that whole part with the car was a great where with the keys. That was a great example of a time where I was very frustrated with Trisha. But also it felt like that moment, I felt like that was such an illuminating moment for her to really be humbled by how little she knew about the world and how naive she was because of her family status. And so I thought all of that was just really well done. Yeah. I also think the proclamation. So there are these famous proclamations of Darcy to Elizabeth. And I thought those worked really well when Trisha walks into that muffin shop and has the declaration of her love for DJ. It is so, both she's so naive in a way and I think yeah it's it's almost absurd how out of touch she is with reality but it's also consistent with her character and so DJ's reactions in that scene I thought were great to watch because he's just it was all totally, it was so awkward <laughs> it was like yeah, as a reader I was like cringing I think that's what I found so frustrating about her she was just so presumptuous especially like in that that she I don't know but I mean as I'm reading Pride and Prejudice I'm like oh my gosh I think Darcy is a big fat jerk and I don't like him you know and and again because I don't have that point of context of having read it and I've seen all these things about Mr. Darcy and like you know there are blogs that I mean people have mugs with his name on it I'm like he must be redeemed at some point but I mean at the points that I'm at I'm like this is a jerk I understand now (laughs) a light bulb has come off right now (laughs) after you know 25 years of reading (laughs) novels oh so yeah All right. Well, each of us now is going to share one quotation from the book. Uh, Sarah, what quotation would you like to share? I want to share this quote. I it really hit me because because when you re- listen to the audio, sometimes it's harder to remember quotes and find your quote and all that. But I remember listening to this quote and I just thought it was so profound. It's so simple, but so profound. So the one that I chose is guilt is a waste of time. The fact that you have the things you have isn't wrong. Not understanding what you have is. And I just think that that just says so much about what Dev is commenting on in terms of class, in terms of, I mean, with Trisha, not real, you know, her just total inability to understand, number one, how she comes off to, I mean, some of the stuff she says, I just was, I was like, what are you doing, lady? And I just, I thought that that quote really is impactful. And it's something that everybody could stand to think Mm -hmm. about all the time. So that was my quote. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that a lot. I thought there was a lot of that too, that whole, how do you handle being born into privilege? What What is the best way to deal with that? And what can you do to use that in a meaningful way? Which I think she does. I think, yeah, she's of service to other people, which I think is great. And I think that the current times that we are living in too, I think that that is particularly a profound comment. Ashley, what quotation would you like to share? Yeah, I struggled to pick just one, but the one that I am going to share is part of where 
Trisha is talking through the importance of having the surgery or, you know, giving Emma more support for why with DJ and Emma. And I think what's really beautiful about it, I mean, Sarah touched on this earlier about her going to Jane and finding a way to help Emma see a future without eyesight. And I thought all of that was really moving and and in contrast to a lot of other parts of her character. And again, speaks to, I think her heart is, is so amazing, but her social skills are so lacking and they come across not as awkward, but as, as hurtful and pretentious and all of those things. And so I think that I really appreciate that. That I, And I think it speaks to gender roles also some, what you were saying, Jen, about the way that Trisha, like some of what Dev is doing is challenging us to examine why we find Trisha prickly as opposed to awkward or stuff like that. Like, why isn't she just an awkward character? Why do we find her pretentious instead? Mm-hmm. And I do think there's some gender bias there. But anyway, I think all of that, this moment of her speaking her heart and really relating to DJ and Emma is so amazing. So that that's the context here. So the quote is, whatever the case, we want to change things around us because we want to matter. And we believe that our work makes us matter. The work isn't the end. It's the means for what we really want to matter. And I think why I found that whole part really amazing was that it was such a revelation to her, not about her own work, but to see other people's work in the same way that she understood her own. And I don't think she was able to do that until she started to understand why Emma was so unwilling to live a life without her eyesight, why she wasn't willing. And that was another thing I got really frustrated with, P.S., that it was hard for me to understand somebody making that choice. But I do think that Dev helps to make a really strong case for a situation where somebody would dig in their heels and make that decision for themselves. But by the end, I really did believe the struggle that Emma had to make the choice. And I also believed that Trisha just had never understood anyone else's love for their work in the same way that she loved her own. And it was like in that moment, she not only transcends herself in order to convince Emma, but she also suddenly has this empathy because she comes to realize that like, it's not her work. It's this desire to matter and that that's what other people want to. And so I just loved all of that. I thought that was a really transformative moment in the book. Yeah, that's a good one. I was really tempted to do that one. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good one. I, I did. I really struggled to pick one, but that was one of many. But I think what I loved was just that I feel like it was a moment that that things really changed. What about you, Jen? What did you choose? So I I mentioned that one of the things I really like is the history of Trisha's family. So her mom was a famous Bollywood star before she met her dad, who they call his Royal Highness, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But it turns out that Trisha did not know the full history of her mom being a star in Bollywood and that her dad had taken advantage of her And then they have this big conversation where they're talking about identity and who we understand people to be. And Trisha is sort of expressing some resentment that the way her parents taught her her culture was not right. So her dad very much wanted his kids to assimilate into the United States culture and to act as if that were their culture where her mom was much more attached to the Indian culture 
and to making sure that they understood a lot of things about India and about their home. And her mom says, which of these two identities is you? Only one of them? We didn't want our children to pick just one. We wanted you to own both. That's how we raised you, to honor everything, to choose what felt right for you, to not conform to stereotypes anyone else assigned to you. And so I love that both because you see through these stories, Trisha learned about her mom, how much her mom has had to resolve to create an identity outside the identity other people wanted to give her and the way that she really fought for her children to be able to make that choice for themselves and that her parents really enabled their children to have that balance from both of their cultures. So I just, I thought that was another place where there was so much complexity and so much nuance and so much richness in the consideration of what it means to be the children of immigrants that I thought Deb just handled beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that part was really rich with her mom and everything that came out with that. And yeah, and it helped me understand all that better because we saw it the way Trisha saw it. Yeah. And it was really helpful to be, you know, for that to be illuminated. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ashley, what is your pairing for this book? One that came to mind for me right away was Sandhya Menon. We all love her when Dimple met Rishi. And so I wanted to choose another of hers. This is 10 Things I Hate About Pinky. This is the third in the Dimpleverse books. And so I was absolutely entranced by When Dimple Met Rishi. It's one of my favorite romances that I've read. And so I was interested in reading more. I still haven't read book two, but we were fortunate to get a copy of 10 Things I Hate About Pinky, which is the third. And this is about, there's just a lot of similarities in the sense that it's Pinky and Samir, and they are total opposites and kind of get forced together in circumstances outside of both of their control. They do not want to spend time together. So there's a lot of similarities as far as that goes. And so basically it's that Pinky and her family are at a beach house for the summer and they're, this is a YA romance of their teenagers. They're getting ready to go to college. And so her family is there for the summer and Samir is supposed to go at the beginning of the summer. They, they are friends. They have the same friend group. So they do not get along. They do not like each other very much, but as I'm sure we can all relate to, especially from younger friend groups when we were in high school, that they travel in the same circles, do not like each other. So they both know this. So Samira is supposed to have this internship and it falls through after he gets there. So he's taken the plane, he's gone to do it. And he he has always, he has a close relationship with his mom, but she's also very protective. They've had some tragedy in their family. And because of that, she's really protective. He's very protective of her. They have a very close relationship. So once he finally makes it to the place with the internship, that was a big step for him. And when he gets there and that falls through, he suddenly realizes that he's not ready to turn around to get on the plane back home. And so because of that, things evolve and he winds up going to the beach house with Pinky's family because of a mutual friend who's kind of helped them arrange this. And so hijinks <laughs> ensue and, and there are lots of things going on that again, you know, they're forced to spend some time together. But the basic gist at the beginning is that she has 
been trying to prove to her family that she's not this wild rebel that they believe her to be and that she has a stable boyfriend who is amazing. She's done this prior to Smear arriving. <laughs> so then when this whole thing evolves for him to potentially come, it's beneficial to her because suddenly she can convince him to be the stable boyfriend that her parents refused to believe existed because, of course, he did not exist. <laughs> so, so the parents were right, but she is determined to pull one over on them. And then the benefit for him is that her mom is this illustrious lawyer who's very successful. And that is what his internship was in. And that's his passion. And so this is opening up a possibility for him to have a, a mentorship situation. And so it's been mutually beneficial. So all of that evolves and they try to tolerate each other. And then, you know, sweet love ensues. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I really loved them. Similarly, there were some frustrations with the characters and in the same kind of way that I felt with this, but I think that helped with the tension and then builds up the, you know, the ability for them to understand each other more fully. And there's some really great projects that they get involved in in the local community that are really cool to see evolve as well. And so I thought it was a great story. So again, that's Sanja Menon and it's 10 Things I Hate About Pinky. That's a good one. All right, Sarah, what's your pairing? So I'm going to go with Kevin Kwan's Crazy Rich Asians. And we actually did an episode on this book. We both read it and <laughs> watched the film back in the old days when we could go to the theater together. And, and Sarah is laughing because I read it in like three days prior to us watching the film, which was, it's a long book. I, well, it's, it's funny book. because I'm I pulled saying. up our episode on underbridgepod.com just to, so I knew the episode number, which is 40, but it's back when we named our episodes. It's called Frantically Reading. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that refers to Ashley's Frantically Reading right before the film. But anyway, I'm going to go with that because I feel like it has some of the same class issues. Uh, it has a lot about family in it. This book is about Rachel Chu. She has a, she lives in New York and she has a boyfriend who she loves. His name is Nick Young and they have been together and they have a really lovely relationship. And so it comes to pass that Nick has to go home to Singapore for a, the wedding of his best friend to be the best man. And he invites Rachel to go with him. He has never told her that he comes from, I don't even know how to explain the wealth that he comes from and his, the young family. It is, uh, it is astronomical wealth basically. And so she agrees to go with him and she is envisioning going home to this like nice, cozy little place and meeting his family. But things soon become apparent when they're in on the airplane and they have like beds to lay in rather than, a, you know, a seat like huddled up in coat and things <laughs> go from there. And she, she meets his family and it becomes clear that she doesn't have what his family thinks is the appropriate pedigree to be able to marry him or be even be with him. And so then it's just kind of that narrative through the whole book and the decadence and Rachel and Nick coming to terms with the relationship. And I just thought when I was reading this and Trisha's family, it just kind of reminded me of the young family. They weren't I don't think that the young, that the uh, Trisha's family is nearly as critical as the young family, but I did think that there was some 
expectations placed upon the kids about what they're going to do and who they're going to associate with. And I just, I thought that that was a connection that I saw and that reminded me of Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. Yeah, I think that's a great pairing, Sarah. I feel like there's a lot, and there's a lot of commentary about like the cultural differences between people in a relationship and how that comes out and also the, yeah. the financial ones, like and how those connect. I mean, I think there's a lot. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but I agree that there's a lot of similarities as far as examination of how all that stuff fits together and the pressure it can put on people. Jen, what's your pairing? So I am doing another Pride and Prejudice retelling. So if you get tired of them, you may want to give yourself a little time before you pick this one up. But this is Uzma Jalaluddin's Aisha at Last. And when I was saying earlier that I think the brilliant thing about good Pride and Prejudice retellings is the way that structure can be placed on new problems that definitely happens in Aisha at Last. So in this one, this is also set in an Indian community but it's focused on the the fact that the community is Muslim. And Aisha is getting to the age where people expect her to have been married and her family is considering arranging a marriage for her. One of the men to whom they would like her to become married is Khalid. And he is an extremely conservative Muslim. He has a full beard. He dresses in a very conservative way. And Aisha does not. So she dresses much more in a modern way and does not feel as compelled to dress in that way. So that's one disparity between them. As they move around in the community, you see the way that Khalid garners really racist and prejudiced reactions because of the way that he chooses to dress. And they have a lot of conversations about why he has made the choice to dress that way, why he doesn't choose to dress in a way that would help him fit in more. He also has a very conservative sort of relationship with his mother and his mother is super protective of him. And this is where you sort of get that snobbiness that we see in Pride and Prejudice. His mother does not feel that she is worthy of her son. And so you get a lot of those same conflicts. So again, I just think you take this structure, you take this conflict, but you place it on a different kind of division. And I think it works really well. I think it just illuminated a lot of assumptions that we make about why people choose to worship in the way that they do or why people choose to live in the way that they do and how others feel as if they have the right to judge that and to question why it's that important. Why, you know, why is it not just easier to go along with the way everybody else does things? And I think the fact that Aisha is asking some of these questions in the narrative really helps to explore them well. So that is Uzma Jalaluddin's Aisha at Last. I really want to read that one. That sounds great. It's really. I read these pretty close together the first time. <laughs> I read Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors. I was in a, I was in a mood. And it was really interesting to see the different choices the authors made, but I thought both were equally well-written, which was nice. So, all right, well, we are going to wrap up this portion of our episode with our bookish hearts. And so each of us is just going to say how many bookish hearts we would give this book. Sarah, what about you? I think I am going to give it five bookish hearts. I just really liked it. I thought it was, I just thought it was a good book. Good. Ashley, how about you? <laughs> I feel so much pressure. <laughs> 
I'm going to go with four bookish hearts. I, I really loved it. There's nothing that I didn't like about it. I think I still, this is still not always the kind of book I would most gravitate toward, but I felt like it was really masterfully done. So, but I'm going to stick with four. What about you, Jen? I'm tempted to say 4.5, but I, I think I would give it five as well. So I think because it stood up really well to the reread, which is always a good sign for me, I'm going to veer toward the five range. All right. Well, we are ending. So our ambassadors chose this book. They also gave us our give me one topic for the end of our episode. And the topic is classics that are very readable. Ashley, what is your classic? So the one that immediately came to my mind is one that I've talked about on here before because it's one of my most favorite books, but I chose Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. I just think it's a phenomenal book, a really great read, and I think it stands the test of time, not just in the sense that Hurston was paving the way for other stories, which I kind of was saying about Austin earlier. I mean, I think that she was talking about things in a way that was new for her time, but also that the exploration of Janie Crawford as a character is just brilliant. I mean, it, you know, of all the books I've ever read, it still is one of my most favorite books. So that's why I wanted to choose it. I will say when the, that was the first one that came to my mind, I have had students who struggled a little bit with it because of the dialect. So in that sense, maybe it's not super readable, the the dialect parts, but I think that would be a great one on audio for that reason. So I'm so excited. I get to teach that one mm -hmm. this year. Really thrilled. Uh, Sarah, what is your classic that is very readable? So I'm going to go with F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. I think that a lot of times what kind of is hard for students with classics is the the stories are told with a lot of words, you know, so it, it, so it takes a lot of words to say the thing that needs to be said. I mean, and it, it's for me as a reader, too, I that's how I feel. So I think that Gatsby is a more relatable story than some of the other classics that are taught, especially, I guess I'm just thinking this with my teacher hat on. And I remember when, when I read it in high school, everyone liked the story better than some of the other things that were chosen because I mean, Gatsby was like this party guy, you know, so it was really sophisticated and, and kind of, I mean, a little seedy, but you know, there was just all this drama and all that. So I think that, and the story is pretty straightforward. I mean, there is a lot of like literary things that are difficult in it, but in terms of just like, the story, it's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty slim book. So to me, I think the, even though it's not my favorite classic I've ever read, I think it's probably the most readable, especially for students. So that's my pick. Yeah. Uh, this Of all the ones I've taught, for sure, that's the one that's most universally well-received mm -hmm. that kids are always, I think it's all the drama. Yeah. There's just a tremendous yeah. amount of drama. It, it's, it's not one of my favorites, but <laughs> it, there's a tremendous amount of drama and it's also I mean, it's a little scandalous for I mean, you know. Opera. So I think like yeah. kids are like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I sure students be like, I can't believe this thing happened, you know, and that there aren't many classics that you have that feeling about. So that yeah. one is my all-time <laughs> favorite. So I was a little like Sarah took my favorite. It's fine. But yeah. I felt a little guilty about it. But I also don't have a very big repertoire to pick from. <laughs> Because I, admittedly, in high school, a lot of the classics that I read, I read Cliff's Notes of. So I felt very, I felt like scandalized to talk about that, to pick that as mine on a on the podcast. Right. I like so. a classic. I did read I the good. Good. 
<laughs> when you reread that one, right? Did you reread that? Yeah. Yes, re- I reread it because we yeah. read it in my book club too. Yeah. So. Well, I do like a classic. So I diverted and I, I actually still have a couple of choices, but I'm going to go with Game Time Decision. So I think this one popped into my head because right now dystopian literature feels quite timely and resonant. And I think it gives people a way to think about the things that are happening in our world with a little distance. And this one is Margaret Atwood's A Handmaid's Tale. I think Margaret Atwood is a brilliant writer. She has other great dystopian novels as well, but they are more recent. And there's always that arbitrary, like, when does a book become a classic question? Whereas I think A Handmaid's Tale is is safe to put in that category at this point. And that one, I, I feel like most people know what that one is about, but it definitely has a feminist angle that I think is really fascinating, but the voice of the main character is so strong through that book. And so I think it's really compelling. The plot moves quickly, even though it it has a lot about character and about societal questions and big issues. So I think it's a nice balance of all the things you want from good literature. So that is Margaret Atwood's A Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. Very readable. And just like great for pairing with, with, you know, you could do young adult lit really easily Mm -hmm. pair it with a lot of other dystopian books. Before we close out, I just want to let everyone know that because this was chosen by the ambassadors, we're making this an extra special book club. And we're actually having a buddy read conversation on Instagram about pride, prejudice, and other flavors. So if you read this book and would like to join us, you can just DM us on Instagram. It's at unabridged pod. Or you can email us unabridgedpod at gmail.com and we would be happy to add you to the chat. It's on Monday, February 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we'd, we'd love to hear what you thought about the book. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.